we're t talking about grace as our subject matter, so uh, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, we've kind of been out of sort, so let's kind of just get a, a quick review. And so when we think about grace, uh, one of the, the best things to remember is that grace is God giving you something that is totally apart from works. And so I, I think that Romans 11.5 is probably a good scripture to go by, that God is going to give you and has given us all of these great things, and they're apart from anything that we have done. And so you, one of the rules of thumb for a lot of people is that they will begin to say that, yeah, you were saved by grace. And uh, there's a lot of people in Christendom that will acknowledge the fact that you've been saved by grace, but they believe that now that you've been saved by grace, it's now under law. And you have to work to continue. And so a lot of people won't say that, they won't say those very words, but in actuality, that's what they're perpetuating because they believe that unless you uh, show it, that you somehow, uh, well, you have all of the things that they throw out there, easy believism, but that's easy believism. Well, if Christ said, if God said that you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that's the basis of how you're going to be saved, unless you believe something else in vain. Do you want to argue with it? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't understand it. You know, and, and, well, you know what it reminds me of is when I was a younger kid and I used to babysit my siblings when my parents were gone. And I think I told you before that when my parents were gone, I was like a dictator over the household, <laughs> over my, my siblings. I shall never forget one day my mother came home and, uh, and I was still trying to dictate and she says to me, we're here now. <laughs> Your reign has ended. <laughs> and I, it's over. And I really think with a lot of these people, they are impeding upon uh, God's territory. They want to tell God how to run his program. And it's just one of the most interesting things. And so they want to put on people things that God doesn't put upon them. And it's, and it's just really interesting. And so I, I really think this is, if you get an understanding of God's grace as you see it in Scripture, it's, it, uh, I think it revolutionizes how you will see life and how you will behave in this life. And I really think that a lot of what is going on in Christendom today is a lot of people who are trying to show other people how righteous they are by what they do. And they will stand on their head, they can spin around in circles and do all these neat tricks to try to show up other people how righteous they are. God is unimpressed. He's unimpressed. And so last time we got together, we were talking about grace as it relates to works. And so we, we've really just really attacked this notion of works. But it's not that we are against works, because we see that scripture teaches works. But the question is, how do you do works? Works come as I am, as a maturing believer, filled by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit produces those works through me, you see. I don't go out to try in my mind to come up with works to do. And another thing is that you have to be very careful of, and, and I say this, and, and I think it comes down to the motive of the believer, you have to be careful with other people telling you what to do, Right? So, I, just like with our offering here, and you've heard us say time and time again, if you don't feel led to give, don't give. Right? Because at the end of the day, if you're not being led by the Spirit and what you do, 
it doesn't matter. And I go back to our sign here on the wall. Grace makes service, all service to God, voluntary. And, and I, I think just seeing that in a consistent way, in everything that you do, it's not just in giving, it's in everything that I do, that it should not be compulsion. People compelling me to do something. It should be the result of a spirit-filled life in which the Holy Spirit is leading me to do something. Right? And so now we tell people, hey, there's this opportunity to do this, there's this opportunity to do that, you know, and and, uh, as you're led to do it, that's between you and the Holy Spirit, and that makes a huge difference. And so um, that makes, uh, so we we do believe in works, and we believe that those works are the ones that are going to be produced through the believer, as the believer is uh, filled by the Spirit and led by the Spirit to do those things that are well-pleasing to God. And so we talked about that the last time that we were together, and so we come to this issue of faith and we're on the bottom of page 21 and by the way I gave you an extra page 23 take that 23 because I did see a couple of mistakes on the last one and that's the one that we're going to go by and so we're talking about faith and how essential faith is uh, to grace and so faith as we see it in Hebrews 11:1, faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen and so there are several different kinds of faith that are talked about in Scripture, and you may or may not know this. And so you have faith that you were given at initial salvation. Now, some people have a problem with this, but look over it, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And they want to get technical and say, well, the antecedent isn't faith. Okay, I believe that you can show that this actually points back to faith, but just in case you think that you're technically correct, I want to show you that faith is what you had to have in order to believe. And do you realize that faith didn't come from you? Or you say, yeah, I I believed. I decided, remember the song, I decided to follow Jesus? No turning back. You decided to follow Jesus because the, or believe the facts of the gospel, I hope, because the blinders were removed by the Holy Spirit and you saw the facts of the gospel and you were given faith to believe. If no one, if you and I were not given faith to believe, you would not believe. Well, let's see it here. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not out from yourselves. Now, I believe it's pointing back to the fact that faith is not out from you. Faith did not originate with me and you. We were blind. We were dead in trespasses and sins. I like the way that Don puts this. You go up to a dead man at the casket and you say, get up! (laughs) Can a dead man get up? No. He can't get up physically and neither can he spiritually. And so he says, and that not out from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not out from works. That word of is out from works, lest any man should boast. Now I want to show you a couple other places where we can prove to you and show you that you did not believe on your own. Now we have some uh, grammarians out there who think that that did not point back to faith and faith is not the gift and there's one guy who is such a stickler about it he thinks that it's a reformed position to say that God gave you the faith to believe 
Well, let's look at it. Let's see if he's correct. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. He starts off talking about the fact that they were carnal. And he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. Again, as I always say, don't call yourself a babe. If you're out there, you're listening within the sound of my voice, don't say, I'm just a baby Christian. Please don't say that. You are insulting yourself. The word babe is not used in scripture in a positive way. It's used negatively. And notice you see it here in verse 1. It's babe as as an inarticulate babbler. You can't even articulate what it is that you know and understand. And so notice it says, I fed you with milk, verse 2, and not with meat. But hitherto were you not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Who then is Apollos? But ministers whom you believe, Notice, even as the Lord gave to every man. Isn't that what he just said? Oh, no, well, that's not enough. Oh, you can't get me on that one. Okay, well, I'm glad you said that. We have another one. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And notice in Philippians chapter 1, And uh, verse 29. Go back and get some context in verse 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. Verse 29. For it is unto you, it is given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe upon him, but also to suffer for him. I remember back in the day when they had all of the, what would Jesus do? Nobody ever said, Jesus suffered. Let's do what he did. (laughs) No one ever brought that up. Isn't that interesting? Never heard that. Didn't you see that on the bracelet, did you? No. (laughs) And so... And actually in First Peter, he said, that's what you, there's only one of the places that you find that you can do what Jesus did. You can suffer like he did. Nobody wants to hear that, right? But you see that we've been given to believe. Faith is key. And it's a result of the grace that God has shown for us. You didn't believe, you didn't just decide one day in your, your fallen state, I think I'll believe. <clears throat> I think I've rationally looked at this and it's rational for me to come to this conclusion. Nonsense. You believed because what we see, the Holy Spirit, according to John chapter 16, convicted you of unbelief. He removed the blinders. Someone gave you the facts of the gospel and you believed. Take away that scenario and you would still be out there with the rest of the unsaved people. And if you don't believe that, you're blind. 
And so, what do we have that we didn't weren't given? It's by God's grace that we're sitting here today. And so you have the faith at initial salvation. You have the gift of faith that one has, and that not everybody has the gift of faith. And according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 8, there's one, there are some believers who have the gift of faith, and they have the ability to, to believe beyond the, the normal boundaries of an average believer. When every other believer has given up, they are able to continue to believe. And then you have the attitude of faith in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Now notice in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, uh, Dan was just here actually earlier um, and talking about the intermediate body, which is a wonderful thing. That just a lot of issues are raised there concerning the, issue, the intermediate body. One of the things that it does get rid of is the fact that uh, the notion that there are ghosts flying around. There are no ghosts. No such thing as ghosts. Like I tell people that they say that they saw grandpa and grandma around. Well, stop drinking. <laughs> stop taking those. Whatever it is that you're, you're, you're eating or doing, stop it. <laughs> because you have not seen grandma and grandpa. I can assure you that. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and notice in verse 5. Now, he that has wrought us for the self-same thing is God, who has given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And so, now this faith comes from the, the fact that Christ is indwelling us. Faith as a fruit of the Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit produces this faith in our life where we take God at his word and we believe. Look, you can't convince somebody. I, I've come to the point where you're talking to people about <coughs> scripture. When they don't see it, I can't make them see it. If they don't see it, I can't make them see it. If the Holy Spirit doesn't illuminate their mind to be able to see it, you can debate all you want to. You're not going to get anyone to see the truth of God's word unless the Holy Spirit removes the blinders and they can be able to see it and then they're able to order their life according to faith. This is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. And so as a believer is able to do that, he's able to experience the grace of God. And notice uh, in the initial salvation, you can see it, it's related to grace, that we have access into grace as a result of this faith that we had at initial salvation. Look at Romans, the fifth chapter, if you would, Romans chapter five. And Paul writes this, this book of Romans is just an enormous book. I keep telling people I haven't embarked upon this book yet because, <laughs> it, boy, you approach this book with fear and trembling. <laughs> I'm it, is, you. <laughs> it is the book where they say all intersections of scripture meets it's through the book of Romans it is just one of the most powerful books and so notice in verse 1 of chapter 5 therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom that we're by whom is through whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand 
and that's really in a perfect condition, is that the, there's a continual standing. You stand, stood over here, the abiding result is that you're still standing in this grace. And so notice he says, um, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory from God. And, uh, uh, and the glory from, we rejoice is actually we boast in, our, in the expectation of the glory from God. And so notice the correlation that as a result of this faith, we have access to the grace from God. And so notice you see a similar thing said if, uh, over in Romans the chapter 4, I think it is. And it talks about um, Abraham. Romans chapter 4 and verse, um, we'll start with verse 1 and we'll read down through verse 16. <laughs> It talks about uh, uh, Abraham was a very interesting guy, um, and some people say that James and Abraham, uh, James and uh, Paul are talking about two different things. They're not. Uh, when you read Scripture and you understand it, they're really talking about the same thing. James is just saying that if you're a believer, you don't have to. Uh, that it's going to actually be, be manifested in your life at some point. That's what he's saying. He didn't say that you have to do works. He's saying that if you're a believer, you will show forth works. You see? And Abraham was a good example of this. He believed in Romans chapter 15, I mean, uh, Genesis chapter 15. But he goes, in our reckoning and how we see it in Scripture, it's not until uh, Genesis chapter 22, as he offers up Isaac on the altar, that you actually see his faith. And if you had not, if you had not known it, you would not have believed this guy was a believer. You would not have known it. He didn't. He hadn't shown anything. It wasn't until he did that that you could see his faith. And that's all James is saying. That if a certain person says that he's saved, at some point in time, it's going to be manifested in his life before men. He's talking about before men, not before God. God always sees your faith, but men don't. How many times that you've seen somebody and you thought, I don't know about that guy. (laughs) I don't know about him. Right? What's that old saying? I don't know about uh, thee, and sometimes I don't even know about me. (laughs) You know, this kind of thing. And so God knows, though, right? Uh, notice in verse 1, what shall we say then? Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh is found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he had uh, worth for it to glory, but not before God. But what says the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And so it's never really been by works. And see, if you go back to Abraham, uh, Abraham was justified by faith. Now, to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of a debt. As an example, you go to work. Um, Scott went to FedEx today, I think, at least from home. (laughs) And he worked, and um, he expects at the end of the week that he's going to get paid for last week. And they're going to say, Scott, we've been so gracious to you. Here's your check. (laughs) No, he worked, and he earned what he got. And so that's not grace, that's work. And so notice verse 5, but to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. 
Even as David also described the blessedness of the man who is who God imputes righteousness apart from works. Now we haven't I get it mixed up. I think we were talking about this in Bible study, Second Corinthians five twenty one, that he he has made him to be sin a sin quality of sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God has imputed to you and I righteousness. And it's not on the basis of not one single thing that you have done. Now, we will act right, as we can see, when the believer actually understands and experiences who we are. And we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. We will actually engage in practical righteousness. But let's just say that you said you, you never did. Well, I think that you, you might be unsaved. But say people didn't see it. It doesn't take away the fact that God has counted you to be righteous. You see. And so notice, saying, blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are, are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh its blessedness upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it reckoned? Was he when was it when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of the circumcision of a seal of righteousness of faith, which he had, being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they not be circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them. Also, and the father of the circumcision, to whom are not of the circumcision only, but also. Um, walk in the steps of, of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world are not to Abraham as to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness that is by faith. Now this is really interesting. And so there's a distinction made between Abraham's physical seed and those that are not of that lineage. Verse 14, for if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void. How do people not see this? I mean, it's just, it's just so clear to see. And the promise made of none effect, because the law, or really any kind of law, law worketh wrath. Okay, so you want to put yourself under law? You're going to experience a quality of wrath. Where there is no law. Now notice what he says here. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. And so you have a lot of unrighteous terms that are dealt with in scripture. And a lot of people take these unrighteous terms and they make them to be sin. And I will say to you again, scripture makes, draws a delineation between sin and unrighteousness. Now let's just say, let me take you back to First John 1 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now I will ask the person who says, oh they're all the same, then tell me what unrighteousness <coughs> is. Isn't that reasonable to ask? If everything is sin, then what is unrighteousness? I mean, it's, I'm just asking for a friend. 
Just tell me what unrighteousness is. And, and you know, you end up with crickets. You notice verse 15. Because the law worketh wrath. Where there is no law, there's no transgression. So there is no transgression today because you are not under the law. You can only transgress where there is a law. You see. And by the way, if you go back into Genesis, Eve, it never says Eve sinned. It said that Eve transgressed. And let me say a negative law. And what, is, what do I mean when I say a negative law? You better do this or this is going to be the consequence. Don't do this or this is the consequence. You see, there's not that kind of law given today. And notice in verse 16, therefore it is of faith that it might be, how, why? By grace. See? Now if it were out from law, as a lot of people say, it, grace is, it just goes out the window. Then you don't really need faith. Do you know faith is contrasted with law? When I'm driving down this street and I see the sign that says 35 miles an hour, it doesn't take faith to observe the speed limit, though I sometimes don't do that anyway. That doesn't take faith. That's an appeal to your rational mind. This is the speed limit. Don't go over it. Or this will happen. Or this will happen. Yeah, this will happen. There will be a consequence. And so... Faith doesn't require that, you see. And it's necessary to have faith for you to really enjoy grace. And what you end up seeing a lot is that these people who are living by rules. Give me a rule. Just show me the rule. Show me the boundaries. I just need to see it. Well, you really will never see it. You know that. You will never see it. You will never experience the grace of God living by some kind of law. And that's where a lot of believers are across this great country of ours. Across this world. They want a rule. Give me a rule to live by. Tell me where the lines are. <laughs> it's, it's a really tragic thing. And so he says, it's therefore it's of faith that it might be of grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all that, uh, of the seed that not only to them that were, are under law, but to them which are of the faith of Abraham, which is the father of us all. And so you have this relationship between faith and uh, grace that is um, really is essential. And so the just, those who, what did Paul say? And you see, you see that really even back in the Old Testament. Those who are just in each dispensation, they live by faith. They don't live by law. I really even believe those who were under law and the Mosaic law. Do you know those people did things by faith? The true believers. They operated by faith. And so that makes a big difference. Now notice the grace believer enjoys riches today because of uh, God's grace. Now if you look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul tells you that it w he was given to be 
the steward of this dispensation. Now, you have a lot of people who are hyper-dispensationalists. Now, hyper-dispensationalists would believe that uh, Paul uh, is the steward of the dispensation, and they rightly believe that, but they believe that the church did not begin until Paul became saved. And they will also not believe that the rest of the scriptures outside of Pauline epistles apply to the believer. So they would disavow James, they would disavow the First uh, and Second Peter and all these other scriptures because they make there to be one single mystery and that Paul is the steward of the dispensation and, and, uh, and that he, he's the only one that matters. Well, you can go right back in Acts chapter 2 and I see church early on. I see in Acts chapter 10 that Peter says that the Gentiles here believe just like we at the beginning, which goes right back to Pentecost. That's just not really biblical. Now, I believe some of these people are believers. They can give you the gospel very clearly, but I think that they're heretics. I really do. And so notice in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul writes, he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, since you've heard of the dispensation of the grace from God. Again, you know there's a lot of people who are blurry to say dispensation. Oh, that's a scary word. Don't say, well, it's a biblical word. If it's biblical, I know, Jeanette, I don't want you to call me bishop, and that's a biblical word. (laughs) I'm getting ahead of you on this one. (laughs) But there's a reason for that. (laughs) No, it's it's the same thing. And so you see this thing, dispensation, people don't want to use this, and yet it's used in Scripture. And they and I don't know what the you bring this word up in certain circles and they will label you a heretic and everything but a child of God. <laughs> I just it's just it's just always perplexed me, but you do have that. Since you've heard of the dispensation of the grace from God, which is given unto me to you word, how by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote in a few words. Whereby, when you read, you may understand the knowledge and the mystery of Christ, or really, I believe here, the the Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is known, um, as is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Wherefore, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God unto me by the effectual working of his power that unto me am less than least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I wish I had known this when I was a kid, that there was such a thing. You know, God did not allow it to happen. That song, The Unsearchable Riches of Christ, it's been around for a long time. I don't even remember singing it in our church. Could have been carnal, though. (laughs) Could have been on me. I don't even remember hearing it. I don't even remember anyone talking about these kind of scriptures. That God has provided a provision for you by imputation in Christ in which you are accorded and accounted to be all of these wonderful things as a result of the work that Christ has done. 
And how often do you hear it in the church? I think it's going to be the result of the failure of this dispensation. The church doesn't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. And so notice, Paul actually connects that, just to hold your finger there in Colossians 2, and I don't think I've put that in here. As you look at Colossians 1, you look at uh, his ministry, and his focus was up on teaching the Gentiles and, and also uh, the Jews who were in the body of Christ all of these wonderful truths about what God has done. And I think it's significant for the believer to understand this in order for you to be able to, uh, to uh, realize all that God has provided in this dispensation. And notice what he says in Colossians chapter 1, and we'll see it again in verse 25. He says, Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which had been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints, to whom God would make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now he's going to tell you what that mystery is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. (coughs) Christ is indwelling every single believer that did not happen in the Gospels. That did not happen in the Old Testament. It is a uniqueness for this dispensation. And it provides the opportunity for God to be glorified. Or God's life to be seen out in a human body. And so he says, verse 28. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. And what was his goal? That we might present Uh, Every man perfect in Christ. Each man mature in Christ. That's what Paul's goal was. Notice, this is not the purpose of the church as we see it today. The purpose of the church, as the church has reckoned it, is to to change the world. The purpose of the church is to solve all the social issues of the world. What did Paul say? Each man mature in Christ. And so you have all of these riches that the believer has been accorded. And Joyce uh, did a wonderful chart, and I'm going to give her her uh, recognition on this. She went back and did a chart on these riches, and I was going to give it out to you tonight, and I forgot it. But I'll bring it to you next week. Uh, It was actually what she spoke on at the uh, CCM and did a wonderful job in doing the chart um, and breaking down these, these various riches. And so let's look at them, and I'll categorize them this way. And so the riches provide possessions for the believer, and the riches provide also a position for the believer. And so notice uh, the believers uh, possess all spiritual blessings in heavenlies in Christ. And so these describe what the believer has in Christ. That we, are, we have all spiritual blessings. And I heard Fred Price before he went on, and I'm sure he knows better now. He says that these were physical blessings. You know, like the Rose Wars he had. And, um, and these kind of things. Who? Fred Price. Casey Crenshaw? Yes. Yeah. That these were, well, if spiritual means anything, it doesn't mean physical. <laughs> and, and so... And so these are uh, things, uh, notice what he says here in Ephesians 1, 3, spiritual blessings and where are these? In the heavenlies, 
in Christ. And so when you look at these, what you're going to see for the believer is they describe these things, describe who the believer is based upon how God sees you and what you have as a result of that. And this is very, I mean, if we put this in any other context, people would have no problem understanding it. Uh, and, I, and, I, and one of the best illustrations of it is when I worked for FedEx. And I would go into a lot of places and I would see people and they did not know my name. All they knew, and they would, some people for years, all they said is, hey, there's a FedEx guy. I remember when the movie um, Castaway came out. I had kids running behind the truck talking about, hey, FedEx man, FedEx man, is Wilson in there? I mean, so that's all they saw me as. I was identified completely with that uniform and in that truck as a FedEx guy. Do you realize, whether you realize it or not, this is how you're identified? This is how God sees you? And the real problem is that here's the believer, God sees you here in Christ, according to these things we're going to read, and most believers see themselves way down here. They continue to look at themselves on the basis of how they were born into this world. And they can never let go of it. I see a lot of believers that are just prisoners in their own mind. They're prisoners in their own mind. And look, they're paying a lot of guys a lot of money to try to solve their problems. We can solve it for free. Right here. I'll solve it for nothing. I won't charge you a penny. But just looking at who you are in Christ, it will, when you understand it, it will revolutionize your life. And I'm not seeing one person yet who, who didn't understand it that hasn't changed their life. And so notice, believers possess all righteousness. And we talked about that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And notice in Philippians 3.9, just look at that. That's an interesting one because Paul is, you know, he says, I'm the Pharisee of the Pharisees. And look at his life and how it changed. He says, verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinks that he has, wherefore he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrew, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which, in the, which is in the law, blameless. See, there was a righteousness that was under law, but he's going to contrast these two now. Notice he says, But what were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ? Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ. And so all the things that Paul experienced as a Pharisee, and he tells you over in Galatians chapter 2, that he exceeded in the Pharisaical uh, sect above his contemporaries. He stood out alone. Nobody was like this guy. And he says, it's nothing. Nothing in comparison. Notice what he says here. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is out from law. And, and I want to note here, 
it's very important that that is anauthorous. And when I say anauthorous, it means there's not an article in front of it. So he's not talking about just the Mosaic law. Not having my own righteousness out from any kind of law. And I'll say it again. Most people say, oh yeah, I don't, the Ten Commandments, I don't do that, Dan. But I believe you got to do this. And I've heard people, certain people said, if you're not of a certain political party, you ain't saved. Right? Or if you're not of a certain persuasion, or if you're not doing this, or you're not doing that. I mean, there's a lot of pressure in Christendom to conform to a certain behavior. If you're not standing in an abortion line, you're unsaved. Or you're not a good Christian. All of these different rules that people come. I'm not saying that that's not a noble thing to do if you're led to do it. But it doesn't change who you are in Christ. And people can come up with all these rules and all of these laws that they put on themselves. And Paul says, not, he says, not having my own righteousness, which is out from law. You see how people can make themselves look righteous with their laws and their rules. And they make themselves look, oh, I'm better than you. Scott missed church last week. Sinner. <laughs> right? And this is, this is what we do. Oh, they weren't here for church cleanup. Sinner. <laughs> right? And this is what people do. They come up with all of these crazy rules that have nothing to do with a believer standing in Christ. Nothing. And then they measure themselves by other people whom they perceive are not doing it. It's the craziest stuff. This is insane stuff that we do. I'm going to include me in here because I've done it as well. <laughs> and so notice he says, and so we, he says, not, not how from law, but by faith, faith uh, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is out from God. And what is it by? Faith. Faith. And so notice the believers are uh, have uh, sanctification. We're seen as being sanctified. You know, and you, when I was growing up, they had the, uh, the, the um, holy rollers, we called them. They would say, I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. And a lot of them, as you saw their behavior, they were not. They might have been saved, but I don't think that they were sanctified in the way that they were calling it sanctified. And I don't care how many long dresses you wear and what makeup you don't wear, it still comes down. If that sin nature is active, <laughs> it's what it is. But sanctification is being set apart. And you and I are seen as being set apart in Christ. Do you know nothing's going to change that? That it's a result of what God has done. And so notice, uh, the believer possesses complete redemption. We've been completely bought out. Believers are placed as a priest. We, are, we have the ability to operate as a believer priest. Israel had a priest, uh, uh, had, had a priesthood. Every believer today is a priest. So women, if you wanted to ever be a preacher, here. Here's a substitute for you. You're a priest. And you can offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. And we'll talk about that later. Uh, 
Every believer has been placed as a mature son. Now, this is really important to know because uh, here in Satan's world, all he, ha- he, he has children and then he has just a few that he uses as mature sons. And we know this. One of the places we can know this from, is from Matthew chapter 13. But in God's reckoning, all the people who are born into his family are children and immediately immediately you are accounted to be mature sons. Now, what does this mean? You have all the rights and privileges as anyone else. And there is no lifetime in between it. Back in the day that you used to have to reach full age in order to be, to have a right to the inheritance of your father. Not for the believer. The moment you believe the facts of the gospel, you have the, all the rights and privileges of any other believer. Don't let anybody tell you that you, there's a lag time. You have to wait. Wait in line. We've been around here for 40, 50 years. And do you know that believers have been in churches for 40 or 50 years and they're like dinosaurs? They've not changed one bit. One bit. And you see believers who come in and they, they go right past them. And maturity. And so notice, uh, believers are uh, pro- uh, provided a spiritual gift. Every believer has a spiritual gift, and I believe that there's 11 of those that you use, not for yourself, but for the edifying of the body. <clears throat> believers um, are placed as having liberty in Christ. And so the believer has freedom from the sin nature. Do you know we've been set free from the sin nature? The only reason we have to yield to the sin nature is because we want to. Uh, did I say that? <laughs> That's the only reason. When I give in to the sin nature, I want to. I want to. The sin nature doesn't have any power over me. Only as much as I allow it. Because we've been set free from it. And so notice, uh, the believer uh, has been in law to Christ. The believer is are part of the building of God. Believers are provided forgiveness by God. And so we have positional forgiveness um, by God. We've been forgiven all sins. There's no sin that you're going to ever commit. Now, I wouldn't advise you to take advantage of this. <laughs> but there's no sin that you will, ever, uh, you will ever commit where you could say, Oh, God's not going to forgive me for this one. Are you kidding me? <clears throat> He's already known every sin that you will ever commit. Did he miss one? Did he fall asleep? Oops, I didn't see that. Oops, I'm sorry, Kevin. I didn't account for that one. Christ calls us brethren. And notice, the thing that's important to know is that he calls us brethren. We don't call him brother. But he calls us his brethren. And then notice who we are as a result of being in Christ. Believers are accepted in the beloved. Now, we sing that song. That word accepted is highly favored, highly graced. And the one having been loved. So even though I see myself in the natural, I'm just a no good guy. In Christ, God speaks well of me. That's a fact. And it doesn't change. But from our reckoning as people, we, you know what we would do if somebody crossed us? We're done with them. And so this is how we're seeing it. We're seeing it how we would do it. That's not how God does it. And so, just, you know, when we fall, God's given a pathway to, be, uh, to rectify that. And he doesn't change his mind 
about what he has done. Believers are made near to God. We used to sing that song, Nearer My God to Thee. Well, you can't get any nearer than where you are from God's reckoning. You're seated at his right hand. Believers are seated in the heavenlies. Believers are made the fullness of God. And we're believers sharing the new creation. Now, uh, there's a huge tra- bad translation here. Notice in 2 Corinthians 5.17, I did want to address this. And so, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, they translate this creature, and it's really a really bad translation, uh, because uh, you're not a creature. This is not the creature from the Black Lagoon, for those who used to see the creature features at, on Saturday night when I was growing up. And I'm probably dating myself. <laughs> But notice he says in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Please note that. You're part of a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you know you have people who still see themselves as they were born into this world? And I sometimes think, you know, some of this is really kind of prideful, arrogance. It's almost like a, um, a self, uh, self-deprecating uh, humility that we have. Oh, I just can't say that I'm, I'm in Christ. Why? I can't say that. Why? Could I really say that? Yes, you can. I'll solve the problem for you. Yes, you can. Why? Because God says that's who you are. This is who you are. And you realize that you and I won't live like who we are if we don't recognize who we are. And there was some merit to it when we were growing up. My parent, uh, my brothers and sisters, I don't think I ever heard my parents say that, but they would have this phrase, we're Jeffreys. I never knew what that meant, but I think it did say that we were supposed to act a certain way. A lot of it was a lot of pride. <laughs> But you know, you see that people who say, I mean, there was a recognition that you're supposed to act in a certain way because of who you are. Do you realize as believers, there's the potential as you and I see who we are and we count it to be so that the Holy Spirit will produce in our lives the very thing that God wants. It ain't going to happen if we don't count that to be so. And so, notice believers are counted dead with Christ. And so, when this ideal that we have, we died together with him. So we've been cold, uh, 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 crucified with him. We were buried together with him. And we've been raised together with him. Now, why is this significant? Because Christ was such a perfect substitute for our sins. It was if the Father saw you and me on the cross. I just thought it was a wonderful thing that we did on on, uh, Resurrection Sunday when we changed the name of that song. I was there. (laughs) Isn't that what Louis Fairchafer said? That he had heard a church say that? It is really accurate to say that. Almost sounds heretical, doesn't it? You know why? It just shows the marvelous grace of God. How amazing it is. That he would count you and I to have been dead together, buried, to, uh, crucified together with his son and buried and raised. So now we have been set free from the sin nature. Do you know the sin nature doesn't have power over you and me? It has no power. 
only what we give it. There's no group of people in, on the face of this earth that have the ability to live out God's life like the believer who has believed the facts of the gospel. Not one. And I don't care how beautiful people look and how dignified and sophisticated they look. They're just animals if they haven't been saved. And like I say, look at Will Smith. <laughs> you can see what the animal nature can be. Believers are resurrected with Christ. We are con- we were, we're not condemned in Christ Jesus. There's not one condemnation that's going to be registered against any believer who would believe the facts of the gospel, not one. Believers are made one with Christ. Uh, believers are uh, placed as saints. We are set apart ones. Believers are put, uh, put Christ on as an outward garment. Uh, we can put Christ on as an outward garment. Now, what does that mean? So in Galatians 3, it talks about the fact that it is um, when I, it's, you have to count these things to be so. So this is what scripture says we are. So I see myself as being clothed in Christ. And as I see myself as being clothed in Christ, do you know what I'm not doing? I'm not trying to justify myself. I'm not trying to make myself right. I'm not trying to overcome my sin nature. I'm not trying to do it as I'm allowing myself to be to revel in my position in Christ. You know who does the work? The Holy Spirit. You know all he's waiting for us to do? Let him do his job. So many believers are trying to do the Holy Spirit's work and he just I'm pretty sure he's just kind of taking his posture. <laughs> just you done? You done? Honestly, I don't mean to be irreverent. But I think that this is what's happening. The believer is so busy trying to do it that the Holy Spirit can't. We grieve the Holy Spirit, right? Um, we uh, uh, can extinguish or put out the Holy Spirit because we're trying to do it. Have you ever seen somebody trying to do something and you just say, you invite them over to do a job. They're trying to take control of the job. Have you ever seen that happen? And you just say, hopeless. I'll just let them do it. Hopefully they'll run out of energy. This is not really complicated. It's really not at all. It's not some special secret. God has provided it. He's made it very clear for every believer. And what we'll see now as we come into the next week is that God has provided for us to live by grace. And there's responsibilities for us to live by grace. As we get out of the way, God will do it. Somebody put it this way. You ever seen little kids? Mother is in there trying to bake. Little kid, Mama, can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? They're all in the way. Right? Any mother has experienced this. And so you give them a little dough or whatever, and they're just so happy, like, I'm helping you out. And no, you're helping me to actually do the job. (laughs) That's what you're helping me to do. Because now you're out of the way, I can actually do the job. Do you know that's what the Holy Spirit is waiting for a lot of believers to do? Stop. Stop. Just live by grace. 
just count what God has said to be so. You don't have to go and do all of this stuff that Christendom is telling you. Just stop. It will make the, the most magnificent difference in your life. When you experience the grace of God, it'll feel to you like a thousand pound gorilla was lifted off of your shoulders. <laughs> and you will actually be allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work. All right, we'll stop there and then that we got through what we wanted to get through and I think we'll we're home free for next week. <laughs>